Welcome to Sundoku Book Club, where we finally get around to the books that have been sitting on our shelves for forever. I'm Emily Miner. And I'm Leif Nelson. And this week, we get to talk about a very exciting topic. Okay. So, as I said last time, I am reading Noam Chomsky's Media Control, The Spectacular Achievements of Propaganda. Okay. And this is the second edition, <laughs> um, which I'm fairly sure... It's the second edition because there's like a little sort of tacked on um, thing on the back where Noam Chomsky um, sort of gave this speech about how um, the Iraq war would be reported on if it were or sorry, how the war on terror would be reported on if it were like an alien from Mars coming okay. down and reporting it from sort of a distanced, mm-hmm. more objective point of view, mm-hmm. um, in his words, how it should be reported. Gotcha. But I'm not going to be talking about that. Um, so really, this book is short. <laughs> um, it is 65 pages long. Okay. Um, and Noam Chomsky is, is, I believe, right? Yep. Yes. Um, he, he's a lot of things. <laughs> he is a linguist, linguistics professor. Mm-hmm. I guess that's different from a linguist. I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He's a linguistics professor. Um, he studies media. He studies politics. Um, and basically this whole book is about, um, how the U.S. United States uses propaganda to try to control how we view ourselves within the world and like to try to control how much power just individual people think they have within the United States. Um, so there's a lot going on there (laughs) within 65 pages. Uh, I'm going to try and keep this as succinct as possible, but I'm pretty fired up, I'm going to be honest. So, <laughs> All right. Um, anyway, just to get a little background out of the way, I bought this book probably, oh, I don't know, six years ago. Um, I got it at a little used bookstore that I frequented quite a bit. Um in normal Illinois called Babbitt's Books. Mm -hmm. I do not believe that it exists anymore for a long time as I was sort of graduating from college Mm -hmm. because it's my college town. As I was graduating, it was really unsure whether or not they were going to be able to stay. They like, first there was this huge downsizing project Mm -hmm. um, because they just weren't getting enough traffic and it was really sad but i think that it is closed now um but babbitts shout out to babbitts (laughs) because i was there all the time and one time i like wanted three books and i only had money for the two and i was gonna put the other one back and he was like "Eh, just take it and he was super nice and we talked all the time this is why they're no longer in business all those free books no it's not (laughs) it People didn't go enough. It was great. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> so I even know how much I paid for it because oh. used bookstores often write the price mm-hmm. on the inside. So it was $8.76. Wow. Which is very specific. 
They're paying like two cents a page there. I know, pretty good. Um, and there's even a note in here from somebody. It was the. This has got to be. Well, I don't know. The note was written on November twenty fifth, two thousand and two. I do not know who wrote it, but it says that that's when they read it and excellent with three exclamation points <laughs> so whoever this person was must be a kindred spirit okay um and i bought this book because it looked interesting and it looked short mm -hmm. and i was super into like i don't know i was studying anthropology stuff at the time i was learning about ethnographic practices mm. and i was like yeah sure this looks like something i should read <laughs> and then promptly did not um for six years <laughs> and i just had it hiding away uh which is the premise of the show anyway <laughs> um you've been so, here before you know how this goes right. so i guess i'm just gonna dive right in go for it because as most of you know, if you listen, you know that I take notes <laughs> and I have things to talk about. Right. Although, should we be honest and note that you wrote these notes some 20 minutes ago? <laughs> I mean, I think you're being generous there, but if you want to call started me writing, out, started be honest. Started 20 minutes ago. <laughs> right. That's fine. I was mulling this over for like yeah, a week, yeah. so they're great notes. Okay, so the first thing that I want to talk about and what Gnome, which, mm. what a great name, <laughs> and what he opens with in the book is a conversation about what democracy means, particularly in the United States. So I'm actually going to read a little bit if that's okay. Okay. Can I just really quickly give like a, a little pet peeve of mine with books? Sure. Like books should not be formatted where everything is evenly spaced. And then you have like Ooh. little dashes where words run mm -mm. over to the next mm -mm. line. No. That's a huge pet peeve of mine. And that's why I just messed up that that's first time. That's for newspapers and everything. Like, come on. Right. Like you could have gone on to the 67th page and just <laughs> bumped every word. Okay. Let me begin by counterposing two different con conceptions of democracy. One conception of democracy has it that a democratic society is one in which the public has the means to participate in some meaningful way in the management of their own affairs and the means of information are open and free. If you look up democracy in the dictionary, you'll get a definition, something like that. An alternative conception of democracy is that the public must be barred from managing their own affairs, and the means of information must be kept narrowly and rigidly controlled. That may sound like an odd conception of democracy, but it's important to understand that it is the prevailing conception. Okay. So, he opens with like a two-page note on what democracy is mm -hmm. or at least like how this conception has been um produced in the united states because the rest of the book basically goes on to talk about how like um the media system and the government system that we have in the united states is extraordinarily controlling 
um, in what people are allowed to think about their own country mm-hmm. um, and what they think about the level of involvement that they can have in shaping this country. Um, and the whole time he's very sarcastic. He's like, uh, you know, sort of like, I can I can definitely read a voice in it similar to how I could read like C.S. Lewis's mm-hmm. voice, I think really strongly. It's sort of like a, no, no, like that's not totalitarianism, that's democracy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like, you know, we've got some dark humor in there. Um, but yeah, like he, he talks a lot in the beginning about how um, really like, most people involve themselves in democracy sort of as spectators. Mm. Um, And this reminded me a lot of a Citations Needed um, podcast episode that I listened to a couple months back. Um, I don't know the exact title, but something about Nate Silver and Pundit Brain. Yeah. um, Which was a fantastic episode. And if you don't listen to Citations Needed, you should really start. (laughs) Um, And basically that whole episode was about how, um, you know, people like Nate Silver or others who sort of like follow the polls or Mm -hmm. make the polls, right? It's all of this like data tracking on who they think might get elected um, nationally and locally. But the issue with that is that it sort of turns elections into this sport that you have Mm -hmm. no actual say in. You are just watching and tracking. (laughs) Um, We'll go ahead. I was going to say that's kind of exasperated by the fact that I think ESPN bought... Mm -hmm. Uh, 538. Oh, god! Because they do sports and politics. I know they do. They just, I know they do. I, so That's like, so sick. It's interesting to me because I very much, I discovered 538 during the uh, 2012 election, I think. And yeah, like it is addicting to just like follow a graph and be like, mm, like up three points from like last Wednesday. Like how did the debate change things? And yeah, it was just, it was a lot. It was very exciting uh eight years ago ten years ago now mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah not, eight year, not ten years ago seven years ago there we go it's <laughs> okay it's all good um but yeah like and and i have followed 538 mm-hmm. for quite a while i don't i haven't so much recently but like i definitely have in the past mm-hmm. and like i am like a lot of people really anxious about the last national election we had about our neck about the upcoming national election and so i'm like i do check polls like because i'm freaked out right Mm -hmm. like i'm like i want to know how we're doing (laughs) will bernie win (laughs) that's basically all i want to know um but uh the whole point there is that like if we just treat it like this spectator sport mm-hmm. then you have like this that's not a democracy or at least it's not a democracy in the way that we think of mm-hmm. a democracy um it's like a show version of right a democracy. exactly or like an idealized version right mm-hmm. like i think he does such a great job of starting off with the, these two definitions of democracy that are clearly so polar opposite because 
just immediately he really shows the way that like I don't know I think it makes a lot of sense for him as like a linguistics um expert because it shows the way that like we give a word meaning right like just because we call what we live in a democracy doesn't mean that what we live in is like the um dictionary definition of a democracy we have shaped a different definition (laughs) of what we live in right and we call a democracy call Mm -hmm. it a democracy um so yeah i thought that was like a fabulous way to open it up um and then sort of similarly a couple chapters later he's talking a bit about um the political parties that we have and it's it's just like talking about how the way that the system is set up we are so limited like our choices are so limited right and he specifically says that um there really are no like political parties or organizations um the technically the two parties that we have right now are just two factions of the business party um which I don't know if I would have always <laughs> agreed with. Um, I've always, since I've been th- thinking about political things, um, you know, identified as like a liberal Democrat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's definitely changed over the last couple of years. Like, thank you for that. <laughs> I don't I mean, know, so partially. Yeah. Um, but like a lot has changed in the way that I think we all mm-hmm. view the nation uh, the, over the last few years. Um, and I just really can't support, like, what I would now consider, like, democratic centrism. Mm-hmm. Um, it drives me crazy. And I don't know. I don't mean for this whole thing <laughs> to just become, like, a feel the burn. <laughs> like... <laughs> PSA, um, but I mean, like, billionaires suck and they shouldn't exist, <laughs> and billionaires fund the Democratic Party just as much as they fund the Republican mm-hmm. Party, and not enough people seem to find that a problem, in my opinion. Right. Like, um, what is really differentiating us, I think, in a lot of ways, like, the Democratic Party is kind of all talk and like no mm-hmm. tooth or something yeah. is that a thing that people say yes <laughs> okay like a lot okay um, i think there's someone jeet here who i mm-hmm. we both know both through comics and yeah. also like politics as well uh i think it was something he was talking about how like a lot of democrats see themselves just as the people who are against republicans and don't really right care like what, what did they that do means? What, they right. don't care about actually I, governing in any way right and it's so and like having worked myself in like within the government like mm-hmm. low level you know but like i like a lot of people get so frustrated with like the bureaucracy of stuff and like nothing can ever get done like i just want to do something good help people Mm -hmm. and like there's so much freaking red tape that like nothing can ever get done and like i know that there's a lot of things that you know factor into that when we're talking about bureaucracy at the national level but like 
come on, like, Democratic Party, like, get your freaking act together. I don't know. <laughs> you can curse. <laughs> get your fucking act together, please, and stop letting Hillary Clinton take interviews and hurt <laughs> Bernie, okay. She's her own person. She can do what she wants. I don't know. Not anymore. <laughs> she needs to go away. I voted for her, and now she needs to go away. Anyway, <laughs> I'm mad. Um, so what's this book we're reading? <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, look, but I told you before <laughs> no, we did yeah. this that I was going to use this book as an excuse to talk about what I want to talk about. <laughs> so... This is a great segue into the next thing that I want to talk about, <laughs> um, which is The West Wing, <laughs> the TV show The West yeah. Wing. I kind of had a feeling you were going to talk about it because if only like I felt it when you were talking about the, what was it? Oh, the idealized version of mm. democracy. Mm-hmm. I was like, mm. uh, uh-huh. <laughs> there we go. But the thing is, is that The West Wing is this idealized version of it, right? But I think really because of like oh man i could do like a whole paper on noam chomsky's media control and the west wing <laughs> um let's go back to school baby. right right and because honestly in my opinion i've been watching this show a long time like mm-hmm. my family watched it all while i grew up i'm currently in the middle of re-watching it i've done that a lot it's great television. Like, in my opinion, it's, like, good, dramatic writing. Mm-hmm. Like, it makes you feel uplifted. You feel the high highs. <laughs> you feel the low lows. Like, Aaron Sorkin is kind of a piece of shit. But, like, <laughs> it's great television, right? Yeah. And, like, it keeps me coming back. And I want to cheer them all on. But also, like, their politics are terrible. <laughs> like, but that's the thing is that it is this it really is a great like example of how we view our country if mm-hmm. you like view your country in a really patriotic idealistic way right. um well it's interesting because like i did not watch this show, show anytime i've seen an episode it's when you're watching it mm-hmm. um and it, it was interesting to me before like knowing it my entire knowledge of it was it took place at the exact same time as the Bush administration, mm-hmm. but it was a Democrat in office instead of a Republican. Right. And that was it. That's basically it. Um, there's lots of like like correlations between mm. what was happening in real life and what's going on in the show. Um, but yeah, like most of the show follows what I would consider to be like the voice of the president, like mm. five or six staff, senior staff members who work in the West Wing and they like do the communications there's cj she does she's like the pr what is she called P- press secretary yeah the press secretary god thank you <laughs> um and then just like other senior staff that sort of help shape the message of the white house right which is always like trying to shape it in a way that makes us sound great so that mm-hmm. um really goes into something that Noam talks about Basically, he says that, like, there's, this was, by the way, published in, um, first published in 1991. This second edition was published in 2002. And at the time, he says there are growing domestic social and economic problems. In fact, 
maybe catastrophes. Nobody in power has any intention of doing anything about them. If you look at the domestic programs of the administrations in the past 10 years, I include here the Democratic opposition, there's really no serious proposal about what to do about the severe problems of health, criminal, or sorry, health, education, homelessness, joblessness, crime, soaring criminal populations, jails, deterioration in the inner cities, the whole raft of problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and that immediately made me think of this, well, obviously, honestly, the entire show <laughs> of The West Wing, but specifically this um, specific episode season three episode seven it's called the indians in the lobby um the title the indians in the lobby refers to the main plot of the episode but there is this sort of subplot about the fact that um the definition of the poverty line has been changed Mm. and all of a sudden we have in the show they have four million new i'm putting that in air quotes poor people okay And that's an issue for this White House Mm -hmm. in the show. Not because, oh man, we haven't been taking care of people enough. (laughs) Like, there's a whole bunch of poor people out there. What will we do to help them? It's all like an image thing. Like, can't we put this off because, like, the president is going through something right now and we don't want it to, like, affect his, like, popularity points. Right. And it just, like, makes me want to punch the television. (laughs) Like, what the fuck <laughs> i'm so upset this is a cussing episode we, let's, we that's fine it. um it just is so upsetting like they have no it's it's never like mm-hmm. oh we found out this new data let's use it to help people it no it's like let's find we found out this new data let's see how long we can hide it or ignore it or like keep people from realizing it and gnome says on the next page um exactly that uh quote in such circumstances you've got to divert the bewildered herd because if they start noticing this they may not like it since they're the ones suffering from it end quote um and that's basically all they do is like damage control Mm. they like don't actually try to fix anything um anyway moving along (laughs) (laughs) this is what you get today people um yeah, okay, so to continue slightly, um, Noam Chomsky also talks a bit about how when polls polls have been taken from to the United States population about how much involvement the United States should have in global like human rights violations and mm-hmm. things like that, and, like why we should go to war with people right. or whatever, um, why there should have been a war on drugs. Yeah. Um, and... Everyone's like, yeah, absolutely, we should intervene when there's human rights violations happening around the world. But never has the United States taken a close look at our own practices and policies, which have been multiple human rights violations. So it's always like, how can we divert outwards, never reflect? Mm -hmm. (sighs) Okay. So then I think that really leads to this concept of like trying to separate people so that you can't basically organize and find out that you have similar opinions as other people. 
because when you're able to organize, when you find out that other people feel similarly as you, then that starts that ball rolling of like self-reflection on how do we want our country to be acting. Um, So we talked specifically about, um, you know, when he was publishing this, the war that he was writing about was the Gulf War. So Chomsky discusses when there were some articles out about sort of determining whether or not people thought we should be entering into the Gulf War, right? And it was all just like one message, um, never like diversity of opinions. So he talks about how because of that, um, the people who were answering the quote, the people who were answering the question thought, I'm alone, but that's what I think, unquote, that maybe we shouldn't or we should be approaching yeah. this differently. Um, and I think, you know, it's not just me thinking this, like this applies in a lot of situations and one that I've been thinking about quite a lot lately is labor. Um, you and I have talked about, like, just the concept of unions and union un, unionizing. <laughs> is that the word? Yeah, it unionizing. sounds so weird. Unionizing. Union, 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 union. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've been talking about that quite a bit lately, and um. Yeah, I think that this is. I don't know. I don't have anything to say other than. This upset me, too, because I think a lot about how, like, I don't know, I have lots of thoughts about, like, work practices or things like that. And, like, I don't really share them with anybody else. Like, I just sort of think them Mm -hmm. and then I go about with my day because I just kind of assume that, like, everyone else is fine with how things are. Right. Mm -hmm. And maybe partly that's just me, but, like. I don't think it's all just me being like, I just shouldn't talk about it. Like, I think that we do get some sort of, like, message that, like, what you have is, like, good or good enough. Mm-hmm. And, like, don't make waves. Right. Don't cause a rift. Well, I think part of it is, yeah, like, even at the barest, like, something like talking to a coworker about how much money you make feels like a big deal right like this is a huge no-no that should just be like a known thing it is a known thing if you uh work for like the state in Mm -hmm. any way like you can literally look up how much every single person in your office makes right Mm. but but it feels bad to like yeah start nudging at like how much we talk about the like nuts and bolts of work Mm -hmm. when you and I were both teaching, um, like, college-level English. Mm. Part of that curriculum was, like, thinking about socioeconomic class. Mm-hmm. And I remember I would start a lot, off a lot of those conversations for that unit by, like, discussing how it feels to talk about money. Right. And, like, where are your boundaries? Like, where does it start to feel like this is inappropriate or icky or, like, let's not talk about money um and you know it's sort of this the richer you are the less you want to talk about it Mm -hmm. right um 
And I don't know if this is always like a conscious decision, but I think a lot of it is like, let's not bring attention to this. Right. Like, let's not talk about this because then you are, again, it's that whole self-reflection thing, right? You're shedding light on inequality. And well, that's no good because that's not what the United States is. Mm-hmm. We're this united front that's, you know, all about togetherness <laughs> and a melting pot, right? Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of this is like diverting away from anything that doesn't show that we have this united front on whatever stance. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I feel like I haven't really talked a whole lot about the media part of this book. Okay. Um, I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail about it because really it would just be like me like listing things that Chomsky says. And I've already done that enough. Yeah. Honestly, I would just highly recommend that you go and read this book. It's not very long, and I got it pretty cheap, so you can probably (laughs) find it. Um, But yeah, he talks a lot about how, like, newspapers just won't cover things. Like, things would happen around the Gulf War. That's a lot of what the second half of this book Mm -hmm. talks about. And newspapers just wouldn't cover it. So there's a lot of, like, just non-information. Right. Um, so if I can give an example, yeah. that is more recently, like what the media chooses to cover. Mm-hmm. So I'm on Reddit a lot. That's probably one of the sites I'm on the most besides like Twitter or something else. Well, re- yeah, Twitter, YouTube, Reddit, like th- that's it. <laughs> that's really it. Um, and on Reddit, like what's been in the news, I think for like six months now, cause it's been going on for a while are the protests in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, because Hong Kong is in a weird spot geographically, politically, and like like where its quote-unquote like loyalties and everything lie, because it's kind of part of China, kind of not, a lot of things. And so these protests, which I believe are in response to like China being able to like extradite people from Hong Kong for criminal charges and other things like that they are strongly against and it's also like kind of building into a general like anti-china protest going on and part of that the reason that there's so much coverage going on about that one it's very big protest like it's a lot of people it's like i want to say 20 percent of hong kong like pretty much every weekend is like protesting about this i'm not sure about the exact numbers but it's a large amount um but also it's against china which we are not fans of they're a big economic powerhouse there's a lot going on with that um that we are competing with them whether what directly or um with the tariffs that have been put on them or whether it's dealing with like who's able to make friends with different african countries and things like that so Lots of protests going on, lots of coverage for it. More recently, a large protest had been building in South Korea because uh, the United States is starting to ask for money uh, so that they will keep their bases there, mm-hmm. as in American military bases mm-hmm. in South Korea. And I, I do not know how popular they are. I would guess not very, but who knows? Um but the idea that suddenly 
Koreans are going to have to pay to keep foreign soldiers on their soils, like, mm-hmm. is obviously a big deal. Right. And very large protests are also rising from that. Also don't know the numbers from it. But, like, I think I've seen one article about that, and I found it through Reddit. Like, so it is, it's not that it's not being reported on, but it's not being, like, really, like, grabbed onto and just, like, going to keep funneling through. Is it still going on? Maybe. I'd have to, like, actually search it as opposed to actually just, like, literally typing in the word Hong Kong and just getting, like, 25 articles about what's going on. Yeah. So. And honestly, like, if you want shameless plug for something that's not even mine, like, if you want other information on, like, how the media covers or doesn't cover these things, go listen to Citations Needed. Yeah. Um... (laughs) I just really want to talk to you guys someday. Anyway. <laughs> Mima, we've seen that you have Sundoku expert on your Twitter bio. We'll get you on someday. Right. Yeah, yeah. please. <laughs> um. Anyway, I have one last thing to talk about. Yeah. And that is maybe more of why I didn't read this book right away. I don't know. I'm not a mind reader. I can't even <laughs> read my own mind. Um. But... I was thinking a lot about how some of the language that Chomsky uses in this book makes it sound like a freaking conspiracy theory. Right. Like the bewildered herd. Yeah. Like, sheeple. Right, exactly. Yeah. Like how many times have I heard someone say sheeple and like rolled my eyes so far into the back of my head that I went to sleep? Like I I I don't know. And then like he call he talks about how like um, obviously, again, this is sarcastic, but he uses this phrase over and over to describe, like, when people are not fans of the military, they aren't jingoists, mm-hmm. they have sickly inhibitions. <laughs> um, and, you know, there's other stuff, but those were kind of two right. fun ones. And the thing is, is that I, like, agree with so much of what he says in this book. Like, highly, highly recommend Mm -hmm. reading this. Um, Absolutely no reason why you shouldn't. But, like, I don't know. It got me thinking about, like, is maybe this why I, like, took so long to read it? Um, Because I like to distance myself from conspiracy theories. Mm -hmm. Like, I poke fun at it, right? Like, you know... For years, was poking fun about, like, um, 9-11 was an inside job okay. or, like... <sighs> flat earthers or... Flat earthers or anti-vaxxers, right. all that kind of stuff, right? Um, and, like, even further, when I was younger, I really did not want to call myself a feminist. Mm. Not because feminism is, like... Well, I don't know. I think a lot of people would consider feminism conspiracy theory. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I would have used that terminology, but, like, I definitely would have distanced myself from that label when right. I was younger because I was like, well, I don't want to be seen as extreme, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah, sure, I believe in all of these things, <laughs> but, like... I don't want people to think I'm crazy, mm-hmm. that I'm a feminazi, right. um, to the point where, like, I wrote this very embarrassing poem in my freshman English class about how I wasn't a feminazi and, like, read it aloud to class. 
I really hope I don't Ooh. have evidence of that somewhere. <laughs> um, and then eventually I was, you know, I got smarter and I wised up a bit and I realized that there's absolutely nothing wrong with saying that you openly believe in something that you do believe in. Mm -hmm. um, but like, I wonder if maybe that's part of why I didn't read this book right away. Because it does use that kind of terminology that like, would maybe freak me out a little. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Well, considering, <clears throat> so the cover is very conspiracy theorist. Mm -hmm. Like it is, oh, I thought it was TVs, but it's actually uh, newspaper vending like boxes with lies spray painted over on them. The, yeah, plastic, yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot of text on the front. There's a very, like, it's not a sub, so it's media control, colon but there isn't one the spectacular achievements of propaganda and then there's just a big quote on the front which very much feels like wait you like get as much on the front as you can and then like get them once they start reading <laughs> yeah um so yeah i don't know that led me to sort of thinking about like how do we make sure we're differentiating mm -hmm. like i don't know I worry sometimes about the people who are really easily believe in things like you shouldn't vaccinate your children. Right. Or the world is flat. Right? Like, that's <laughs> worrisome to me. Like, what is it about you or the society we live in that, like, that's easy to believe? Mm -hmm. um, and, like, how can we differentiate between that kind of conspiracy theory and like a conspiracy theory that's real like that the like democracy and like media in a lot of ways as we know it in the united states is in a lot of ways a conspiracy to like keep people uneducated right um and i'm not trying to be like like i'm not trying to be like anti-journalism here mm -hmm. right like I, I'm there are lots of journalists out there who have a very different um, goal. You know, they yeah. want to educate people. They want to keep people informed about right. important things, important issues. Um, not like some fake news. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever that yeah. even means, right? You're not, you're not the boy who called it fake news. Right. Um, but I don't know. I don't have any easy answers for this, but like just got me thinking about it. How do we differentiate between conspiracy theories mm -hmm. that are lies and those that are have bring truthful? Mm -hmm. To me, like a lot of conspiracy theories feel like. So I don't know about the flat Earth one because I, I I just completely do not understand. I've I've looked it up multiple times and every time I just completely forget like what the purpose of it is. But most of the time, like a conspiracy theory like revolves around something we know about like 9-11 or the Kennedy assassination or even the MLK assassination or something and then trying to figure out like okay why did that happen and like who like would benefit from that this is why I don't understand the flat earth thing I don't know who benefits from <laughs> like pretending that the earth is flat maybe there's supposed to be something on the other side I don't know but like with the stuff like 9-11 and um maybe even Kennedy for, I'll stick with 9-11. It's like, you can very much like trace like 
9-11 happening and then like a bunch of wars happening and us getting involved in a bunch of things. And I think like part of like assuming that like, oh, it like it's an inside job, like jet fuel can't melt steel beams, things like that sort of arises from, okay, like something is wrong here. Like we're doing a bunch of these things. It's caused obviously a bunch of stuff. There must be like something insidious behind it that like we know like the given story and there must be something more insidious behind it. And like, I don't know about 9-11, but like for a lot of things, like, yeah, there are a lot of unexplained things that we don't completely understand. And they are conspiracies. They're secretly done. Like that's why it's called a conspiracy theory. But we now think of a conspiracy theory as like a crazy thing. Right. Something that's like totally nuts, totally out there. So like, I guess a quick example would be like, it is like, like if you asked anybody about like shady stuff that happens in Hollywood, like anyone would just be like, yeah, that probably happens. Right. And what was it? Two years ago now? I think it was 2017 that like all the Me Too, Harvey Weinstein stuff came out where a bunch of actresses and even some actors like talking about people who are like high up in either production companies or directors and things like that, uh, like taking advantage sexually of people or allowing other people to do the same thing yeah and i don't think like the idea of that is surprising what was surprising about it was that like so many people were just like coming forward with it and there was a legitimate conspiracy of journalists not so much journalists but like editors deciding not to run with it like burying this i think it was ronan farrow who kind of broke the weinstein thing i can't remember which one he was with but i think he was doing it for the new york times and they like he had it all ready and then they decided some editor or another decided it didn't meet the standards and so he went somewhere else and it met their standards and they pushed it through so it happened (laughs) right right yeah I don't know. I don't have anything else to say about that. It just... (sighs) We gotta be smarter, guys. Yeah. I wanted to jokingly say, don't be sheeple, but I, like, (laughs) don't want to say that because I actually do hate that word. Yeah, like, Like, no need to... Don't say sheeple. Yeah. (laughs) It's a bad word. Yeah, it is very bad. But just, you know, like, stay informed, read Mm -hmm. things, um... Don't just read the New York Times because, <laughs> God, their opinion section is garbage half the time. And <laughs> I think most opinion sections are kind of garbage. I know. But the even New York if, Times Even if one, they have some good ones, it's, I know, but it's they not get, worth it. But the New York Times gets taken seriously no matter what. It's because yeah. the New York Times. Like, just be discerning. <laughs> That's all I ask. Anywho, uh, sorry. I feel like I just railroaded right through this episode like i just took right off and i don't know if i'm taking anybody with me but um i think i'm gonna end it there okay so this was delightful i know i sound really upset but like i'm glad i got all this off my chest (laughs) thank you if you listened if you don't i don't blame you um you want to tell us what you're gonna read for next time sure Next time, uh, the the final episode of 2019 will yeah. be uh, Fall of Gods by Rasmus Berggren and Michael Vogt. Can't wait. No? Yeah. I'm excited. All right. Thank you, as always, to Velt Punch for letting us use their song. I almost said putting the days to bed. <laughs> <laughs> 
into too much, my brother, my brother and me. Anyway, thank you so much as always to Velt Punch for letting us use their song Fighting Pose from their album His Strange Fighting Pose as our theme song. As always, we are eternally grateful. Um, you can check us out on Twitter at SundokuPod. Um, and we would love it if you would leave us a review on whatever podcast listening device mm-hmm. you use. Um, it would mean the world to us, and we really would read through those things because we're trying to get better and better. All right. So, bye-bye. Bye. Bye.